From DLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Monday the 11th of April. Good afternoon. As you probably noticed, today's briefing is longer than normal. And that's because every day we release two versions of the daily briefing. The seven minute version we release publicly and an extended 16 to 20 minute version on Nebula. Today, as a treat to start the week, we're sharing the extended version here on YouTube. But if you want this going forward, then I'll explain how to sign up on Nebula later in the video. Anyway, today we'll be discussing some of the biggest stories, including the ongoing Rishi Sunak scandal and the Mexican recall election. We'll also be answering today's big question. Will food shortages around the world lead to global protests and revolution? As well as talking to Le Mans City correspondent about the impact of the first round of the French election. On Sunday, France went to the polls in the first round of the 2022 French presidential election. As expected, Macron came in first with 27.6% of the vote, and Le Pen came in second with 23.4% of the vote. Which means that the second round will be a rerun of 2017, with these two candidates going head to head. The candidates now have two weeks to convince the electorate before the second round on April 24th. Perhaps the biggest shock of the night, though, was the terror performance by the establishment parties, Le Republicans and the Socialist Party, who had previously dominated French politics since the inauguration of the Fifth Republic in 1958. Le Republicans candidate Valérie Pécresse won just 48% of the vote, and the Socialist Party's candidate Anne Hidalgo won just 1.8%. Clearly then, the mainstream parties aren't really part of the competition anymore, and we'll have to see whether the electorate end up going with Macron or Le Pen. And while Macron is leading in current polling, it looks to be tight. For our second story today, let's stay in Europe. And while many leaders have been rushing to try and demonstrate their support for Ukraine, with, for example, Boris Johnson this weekend walking through the streets of Kiev with President Zelensky, some others are trying to remain more neutral. Austria is one of those countries, with them today sending their chancellor to Russia to hold face-to-face -face talks with Putin. And this is important because it's the first time that a European leader has held such a meeting since the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine war. It's important to point out though that the Austrian chancellor held a joint press conference with Zelensky on Saturday, at which he said, We are militarily neutral, but there are exceptions to neutrality. We are not neutral when it comes to naming crimes and discussing them. However, not everyone's happy with this distinction. The deputy mayor of Mariupol in Ukraine has spoken up about the trip, calling it unacceptable. But no one senior has yet commented on these remarks. Let's know what you think though. Is this the right strategy to relate to Russia? There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your everyday routine or you can just search for us in your podcast app to listen along. Next then, this weekend, Pakistan's parliament voted to oust Prime Minister Imran Khan in a much-anticipated no-confidence vote. This vote was originally scheduled to happen on Sunday 3rd, but the deputy speaker, a close ally of Khan, declared it as unconstitutional and instead dissolved parliament, calling for entirely new elections. 
The opposition weren't happy with this though and complained to Pakistan's Supreme Court. On Thursday, the Supreme Court declared the dissolution of Parliament unconstitutional itself and then ordered Parliament to reconvene on Sunday to hold the no-confidence vote, which, as expected, Khan lost. His successor looks likely to be Shabazz Sharif, the brother of Mr Khan's predecessor and the leader of the opposition. Sharif will probably struggle to form a stable government though, given that his party, the Pakistan Muslim League, has just 82 seats in parliament, making securing a victory and a government very difficult. Let's move back to the UK now, where Chancellor Rishi Sunak is still not having a good week. Last week, it was revealed that his wife had used her non-dom status to try and avoid tax in the UK, and that Sunak himself still had a US green card when he was the UK's Chancellor of the Exchequer. In an attempt to try and quell the anger, Murti announced that she would be starting to pay UK tax on overseas earnings. Sunak himself, though, seems to be going on the offensive as well as the defensive. While he has referred himself for investigation by the Prime Minister's advisor on ministerial interests, he has also commissioned a leak inquiry to try and find out how the unfavourable reports made their way onto the front pages. Obviously, Sunak's hoping that the investigation will clear his name and that the leaker will be found, but even if this happens, there's no guarantee that his reputation will recover. Finally, let's move to Mexico, where the president, known as AMLO, won a landslide victory on Sunday, with 90% of voters backing him in a first-of-its-kind referendum on whether to recall him or keep him in office to finish his single six-year term. This recall referendum is unprecedented and not constitutionally necessary, so it's perhaps surprising the vote was called by AMLO himself, who pushed for it as an exercise in direct democracy. The opposition, however, didn't agree and called for a boycott of the referendum, which resulted in turnout of less than 20% and contributed to the leftist president's huge margin of victory. Opponents said that the vote was political theatre and a waste of $80 million, describing it as political theatre designed to energise AMLO's base and distract from real issues. Over the weekend, we saw riots in both Peru and Sri Lanka, largely caused by rising food prices. And rising food prices have also contributed to the recent political turmoil in Pakistan and Egypt, with Egypt relying on Ukraine and Russia for 80% of their wheat imports. As such, the country recently had to introduce a price cap on non-subsidised bread because the price had jumped by 15% in just a month. And it's not just Egypt either. According to the UN's Food Price Index, food prices are at the highest level on record, nearly double what they were a couple of years ago. And it's getting worse too. Food prices jumped a massive 12% in March alone, the largest single-month increase on record. This price spike was primarily driven by vegetable oils, which are up 23% this month, and cereals, which are up 17 According to the UN, these price increases are mostly attributable to the corresponding price increases in energy, fertilizer, and feed costs with these other major global issues all making the food crisis worse. And while food prices might not sound like the end of the world, they often precede political unrest. 
1977, the Egyptian president's attempt to scrap the bread subsidy triggered riots that had to be quelled by the army. Ethiopia's revolution in 1947 followed an oil price shock, which pushed up the price of foods. And high food prices in 2008 preceded the Arab Spring. Worryingly, food prices today are about 20% higher than they were in 2008, which is why some analysts think that we could be about to see another round of food-related political unrest. A UN report from the end of March warned that millions of people in the Middle East and North Africa, which rely heavily on imports for food supply, were already at risk of famine. Lebanon, for example, has seen a ridiculous 351% year-on-year rise in the cost of a basic food basket, which the UN defines as the minimum food needs per family per month. Syria, which has suffered the worst drought in years, has seen a 97% rise. And Yemen, which is suffering through an ongoing civil war, an 81% rise. In just those last two countries alone, the World Food Programme estimates that some 29 million people need food assistance. So you get the point. Global food prices are at an all-time high, and we're already seeing food-related political unrest. If the war in Ukraine continues to hinder food, fertilizer, and energy exports, then things could get worse all around the world. Finally today, as we mentioned at the start of the video, yesterday the people of France headed to the polls in the first round of their presidential election. With the results unveiled and a second round of voting just a couple of weeks away, we wanted to speak to Eric Albert, city correspondent for Le Monde, one of the country's biggest newspapers, to hear his thoughts on the election results thus far and what we could expect to see over the next couple of weeks. So it's very much what was forecast in a way, and so it's not surprising for many months uh, many um, polls were saying, you know, it's going to be Macron against Le Pen in the second round. So it is as expected on that front. Nevertheless, um, it is a dangerous time for French politics, I believe, because this time, um, it is like five years ago, Emmanuel Macron, the outgoing president and um, candidate for new mandate uh, facing Marine Le Pen, the far-right um, candidate. Um, but this time, Le Pen has a realistic chance of winning. It doesn't mean she's the favorite. She is not. Macron is a favorite. But Marine Le Pen, you know, will polls at the moment around 46, 47%. Mm -hmm. 46, 47%, two weeks before the actual um, election, the second round, is very tight. Um, so a chance for Marine Le Pen to win is not, um, I mean, it is possible. It is really possible this time. Um, that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is the French political landscape is completely redrawn. Um, if you think about it, you know, the Socialist Party used to be a party of power, has been in power for many years. François Hollande was a socialist president. Mm -hmm. François Mitterrand, many, many years ago in the 1980s, was a French president and was socialist. This time, the Socialist Party did 2%. 2%. Mm -hmm. So it's been completely destroyed. The mainstream right-wing party from Valérie, Valérie Pécresse was the, was the candidate. Um, it's called Les Républicains, but it used to be, again, a party of power. Um, it used to be the party of Jacques Chirac uh, or J Charles de Gaulle in the 1960s. Did less than 5%, 4.8%. So again, 
a, a mainstream right-wing party completely destroyed. And mm -hmm. what left, what is left is Macron, it's this huge center, so 27%, and two extremes, the far right, Marine Le Pen, and the far left, for use of a, for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. uh, with Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Jean-Luc Mélenchon did just a point and a half less than Le Pen. So really it's three candidates that won almost three quarters of the votes, Macron, Le Pen, Mélenchon, the rest is completely destroyed. And, and it's interesting, you don't really have the traditional left-wing, the traditional right-wing parties anymore. So with Mélenchon now out of the vote, but still winning a significant proportion of the votes first time round, how are we expecting him to influence the next couple of weeks? Obviously, his voters are likely to move somewhere else. So what influence does he have over the next couple of weeks? In a way, Mélenchon is a kingmaker in the sense that, you know, he the, what his electors, electorate does is really going to be the key to what who win the election. Mélenchon was very clear yesterday. He said, do not give a single vote to Le Pen. So that's pretty clear. But he didn't yeah. quite say, go and vote Macron, which is a little bit different. So the big question is, will Mélenchon's voter go and vote or will they stay at home? Because the turnout, I mean, the turnout is really going to be a key issue. Um, if Mélenchon's voter do not bother and go and vote for Macron, the danger, of course, is that um, the electorate really will move for Le Pen and will go and vote for Le Pen, and Macron's voter will just don't don't bother um, and wouldn't want to 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 go to the polls. Um, so, will Mélenchon's voter go and vote is is a key issue. Will they agree to with Mélenchon and not give a single vote to Le Pen is also open to question. Yeah. Quite, you know, in the past, quite a few voters, not that many, but you know, quite a few percentage of Mélenchon's voter did vote Le Pen. Uh, it's, it happened in the past, so it can happen again this time. So, so really, the, what happens to the left uh, electorate is, is the key to the second round. Absolutely. And finally then, what else are we looking at over the next two weeks that could shape the election? What could we see Macron and Le Pen doing that could really shake up what happens the next couple of weeks? The key date will be the debate, TV debate. Mm -hmm. um, Five years ago, it was again Le Pen against Macron, and Macron was by that point quite unproven. He had been an economic minister, but we didn't really know him very well, and he yeah. really won this debate quite easily. Um, and that was a turning point. This time, you know, in a way, Le Pen has had five years to prepare for this new debate. Um, will she do better? How will this work out? Because this time, you know, Macron will have to defend the last five years. Has it done? And by definition, when you've been in power for five years, you've done some mistakes, mm -hmm. um, especially during two massive crises with, you know, the, the COVID crisis and now the Ukraine war. And, and actually, you could add the, the gilet jaune, the yellow vest movement mm -hmm. um, from before that. Um, so Macron will have to defend himself in front of uh, Le Pen that has been normalized because... She is a far-right uh, candidate, but there was another far-right candidate, even more extreme than her during the, the first round, Eric Zemmour. And so she has looked quite normal candidate. She doesn't scare people as mm -hmm. much. 
So, so that TV debate is really going to be a, a key moment. And then possibly, you know, who knows what happens in two weeks? I mean, what happens in Ukraine, how Macron reacts? Um, so it's really open to, to many things, given how narrow the polls are. You know, again, five, yeah. six points of difference two weeks before um, a vote is very narrow. Absolutely. We'll keep an eye on the debates and we'll keep an eye on France over the next couple of weeks. And hopefully we can speak to you again then to find out what the results of the final election vote are. Thank you so much for speaking would, to us this morning. It would be a pleasure, of course. That's all for today. But if you want to get the extended version of the daily briefing every single weekday, that's the normal briefing, today's big question and our interview or discussion, then you'll want to sign up for our streaming service, Nebula. And there's good news. Our friends at CuriosityStream, the streaming service with some of the world's best documentaries, is offering a deal whereby you can get both platforms, CuriosityStream and Nebula, for less than $15 a year. That's all the documentaries you could want on CuriosityStream, and then more TLDR on Nebula, including the extended briefing, other full exclusive TLDR videos, and, well, it's always ad-free too. Click the link below to get both services for less than $15 a year and support the channel.